Well, this week marked the end of an institution in Australian financial and media life. Joe Aston has written his last column for the Australian Financial Review. He's stepping down at his own choice. Boardrooms around Australia will be cheering. They won't need to check whether they're a target in his often searing, often hilarious rear window feature on the newspaper's back page. His employer's lawyers will no doubt cheer too because Joe went hard at things, sometimes hard enough to lose defamation cases like that of two years ago when Elaine Steed from Blue Sky was awarded costs and aggravated damages of almost $300,000. But as one of his former colleagues, Sean Aylmer, wrote in Mumbrella this week, Joe was divisive sometimes difficult to manage, controversial, at times obstinate. He was also charming, a beautiful writer, relentless, smart and very hungry. All the things you want a journalist to be. And that's been on full display these last months with his persistent exposure of Qantas issues. So I'm delighted he's here to join us and that he won't have a chance to send me up, I don't think, anyway. (laughs) Welcome to Saturday Extra. Thanks, Geraldine. Now, why are you choosing to stop? Well, nothing is forever. And I know that I'm addicted to the feedback loop of a daily column, you know, being told at the end of each day, oh, that was terrific or, or that was bad. But I've, I've taken breaks before and it's quite haunting when that feedback stops coming. Um, and it's like a drug and, and I know I need to get off that drug. And I want to get off it when I'm at um, a point in time where, where people uh, still value highly what I do. You know, you don't want to go when people are kicking you down the stairs, as I think many of my subjects now wish they'd realised. It's really that simple. What do you aim to do with your column? Because it's called a gossip column, but it's really certainly become more than that. Yeah, it certainly started off purely as a gossip column. um, But when you do anything for 12 years, it evolves or you evolve, hopefully evolve over a period of time like that. And I've tried to well, it naturally became more business analysis, but my focus was just being entertaining, just making people laugh. And there's so much absurdity in the leadership of this country, in, in, the, in the political institutions, but also in corporate Australia. There's so much to laugh at. And human beings are so endlessly hilarious in our self-delusions. And, and they're, they're the kind of things I focused on. And I know that it was something that the readership of the AFR really valued. You called it, I think, in your um, column yesterday about uh, the most fantastic pretenders in the nation. Is that really what you think, is it, for some of the business leaders? Oh, absolutely. Look, the last time you were in the studio was 2017 when we covered the fallout within the um, chartered accountants realm um, over their highly paid and very prominent head, Alex Malley. Now, that was a very interesting case, I thought, because you were clearly acting on tip-offs from some of that group's members and you detected persistent problems under the radar that weren't widely known and you just went for it day after day until really he was forced to resign. How much have you relied on your readers supplying you with material? Um, It depends, but in that case very heavily. Any good journalist requires uh, the participation of people who who see things that are unjust or wrong and they and or ridiculous and feel the need for them to be exposed often at their, at their own personal risk or cost. So you sort of become <clears throat> their whistleblower. They're, you're a proxy for whistleblowers, aren't you? Yeah, at times. And 
they had a lot to be upset about, if you if you recall. Uh, Alex Malley had colonised that organisation, a not-for-profit, and to be a tax accountant in Australia, you are compelled to pay to be certified by CPA Australia or, or one of the it's other, one of the other bodies, and that costs hundreds of dollars a year. So if you're paying that and you run a small tax practice in Toongabbie or wherever it may be, and you then go to the airport and see the CEO of your t- accounting standards body plastered all over an airport billboard for his new television talk show or his new uh, memoir. Uh, yeah, or, or you see the CPA uh, sponsoring the tennis, the Australian Open, on when you're watching it on television, you're thinking, what is going on here? Uh, and you know, what was going on is that uh, somebody had seen a pot of members' money and decided that uh, they were going to use it for their own end. And he was sitting on a, a board who was very happy to let that happen too. Sure, Absolutely. Um, now, now, I wonder if you've lost friends too, because you um, you certainly did target some of them. You told the story in your last column of the ABC's Kerry O'Brien ringing you to confront you over one of your items which you hadn't checked and saying, you are the pit, sir, before, <laughs> before hanging up. And in print this week, anyway, you agreed with him. That was way back then, was it? Sure. Yeah, no, I do. And one thing I need to do is, is get in touch with Kerry and apologise to him. I, I should have done it years ago. But I'll be the first to admit that when I turned up to to write a column like this, I, I didn't understand the gravity of what I was doing. I, you know, I was quite young and there's something in retrospect quite mortifying about uh, the gross deficiencies of your work being on such public display, but that's, that's you're kind of growing up where your output is quite visible. That's just how it goes. But, yeah, there was lots of stuff. Have that you lost friends? Uh, friends, yeah, sure. I mean, yes, I have. Yeah, mm. sure. I mean, it's been vivid this year with your coverage of Qantas's travails, your commentaries on Alan Joyce, the whole chairman's lounge issue. I mean, suddenly we all know. <laughs> Although you also went personal, highlighting that the PM's son, Nathan, was granted membership and then also about its chair, Richard Goiter, who announced he was stepping down this week. Now, how do you check yourself that you're not going too far, that you're not playing the man rather than the ball, particularly, say, in the case of the young Albanese? Well, I don't accept that I was personal. I was individualised, but to be personal is to talk about, you know, someone on the basis of the, you know, the, the way they look or, you know, the, the, the colour of their skin. the Prime Minister says, my son is not a public figure. Well, but the Prime Minister says that when it's convenient to him. You know, he turned up to vote for the uh, referendum with his son for the pickfack. So he, he wheels out his son when it's convenient to him. This was never about his son, right? I, I'm not interested in his son. What I'm interested in is the Prime Minister of this country using his public office to trawl for favours and special benefits that no one else gets. No one, no one else can call up Alan Joyce and say, hey, whack my family member into the chairman's lounge. We don't know that happened, do well, we? Well, I have alleged that on multiple occasions. I thought and that it was has offered n- to him. That has never been rebutted uh, and that's my understanding of what happened. And so I, don't, I just do not accept it. It's, it's, it's actually quite cynical and I'm quite, uh, quite shocked that... Uh, the media, uh, other other parts of the media fall for this, that it's, oh, you can't talk about my son. We're not talking about his son. We're talking about the Prime Minister's conduct in public office. I just wonder whether, how discerning and how much, do you keep, you know, do you lie awake at night thinking about some of the targets? Uh, sure, yes. I go, try and go hard on, on matters of you know, public interest. But look, yeah, I, I, I didn't pull punches when I think think it mattered, but I, I thought very deeply about the punches before they were thrown and when they were wrong I tried to correct it. But it's just that's the, the game. That's the game. Do they ring you? I mean, have you had people in tears on the phone to you? 
Uh, sure. I mean, that, there's various approaches. They often tr- try to put pressure on people above me to stop. Uh, but I will, I've always engaged with anybody who wanted to wanted an audience and, I, and wanted to get off their chest that they felt they were badly done by. I've always made sure that I did that. Have you been seri- properly independent, would you say, which is what you were promised, inside the Fin Review? Yeah, up to this point I have been given excruciating independence. <laughs> now, I, there's some examples. I, I remember when I was going after Domino's Pizza, which was a, a the largest shareholder of that company is, is Jack Cowan, Hungry Jack Cowan, uh, and bagging them uh, for a lot of some of their public statements. And Jack Cowan was a member of the Fairfax board at that time. I remember when Todd Sampson was a member of the Fairfax board and I was mocking him mercilessly about his T-shirt wearing antics and I'm a creative ad guy and when in actual fact he was running an advertising agency that, that was working for Big Tobacco. He was a member of the Fairfax board at that time. I was, And Jerry Harvey, yeah, of course, precisely. was the biggest advertiser, uh, not just of Fairfax but then of Nine, which took us over. And... They, I, I was never asked or pushed or forced to, to back down. And you kept criticising his franchise arrangements really yes. <laughs> mercilessly, quite yeah. frankly. And see, the Richard Goyder story is interesting. You be, I think you've become, over the years, I've been reading you, more and more curious about people's motives, people sit, sitting very high up in the business world. Richard Goyder, very respected Australian businessman, and as you put it, accustomed to trying to slow crises, to think long-term. Though, as you said, Goyder has spent his entire career not preparing for this moment, uh, you know, as Qantas chair uh, when such big makeovers are required. What are you getting at there? Well, there's a few things going on there. Uh, And I would also concede that I think Richard Goyd is a very good man. Uh, And this was actually one that I struggled with quite a lot because he was always somebody I respected. And um, I really didn't want him to, to fail to manage this the way I believe he did fail to manage it up to the point that he put up his hand this week. But look, this is more about Alan Joyce and Alan Joyce was an incredible capturer of strategically important people, whether it be his own board, whether it be prime ministers, whether it be you know, commercial partners, uh, like anyone who was of interest to him, he, he, had a, he, he had a very very good way of keeping them in his favour. And that, that's ultimately what happened with Richard Goiter, who, who believed only last year that Alan Joyce, in his own words, was the best CEO in Australia by the length of a straight. Now, that was an incredible thing to say and it just showed a huge disconnect from the Australian public's experience of Qantas. The whole nation was, was up in arms about the way the company was conducting itself. Now, the, people will forgive late bags and cancelled flights. That's one thing, but they, won't, they will not forgive when, when the company's trying to steal money from you, when they won't give you your refund and they're purposefully making it as hard as possible to, for, that, for that refund to occur. So, so Richard really showed a disconnect there and that, that is a common occurrence with boards because boards, they shouldn't, but they do rely on the quality of information that, that CEOs and management teams give them. And it's quite common for CEOs to provide them with BS information. So they walk around in their rarefied worlds, in the chairman's lounge, you know, in their, in their members' clubs, in, in, or the, at the top end of town, and they, and they lose real, real touch of what's going on. Uh, look, it just, just, it's interesting too, though, that... After all, capitalism needs people who tilt at windmills like you also relentlessly go after Twiggy Forrest, <laughs> so, you know, sure. who, who, who sort of says, Twiggy, you're speaking absolute nonsense, absolutely nobody. Don't we need people who tilt at those windmills? Isn't that entrepreneurialism? 
Sure, and that's a really good argument, and and, and I, I I love having that argument. I think uh, Twiggy's someone that I mock for the crazy things that he says, but I also always make sure that I point out that at least Twiggy's name's on the door. Yeah, he's he's doing this with a lot of his own money, though there are minority shareholders involved in Fortescue, but you know this guy's actually built something. Uh, I've always been prepared to give him that credit. Uh, but where is the line between madness and genius? It's gossamer thin. Mm. Look, another thing I noticed is that you could read a balance sheet. Again, it wasn't just gossip. I sometimes got uh, an understanding for the first time of some complex move that I hadn't understood from everyone else because of your explanations. Had you done a financial degree or something like that or did you teach yourself what? No. Well, I, I did a lot of... Uh, I, I did a lot of learning on the job and one of the things that I'm most grateful for is that some of the smartest people in the Australian market are... Uh, also think this stuff is important and they're readers of the AFR, of course, and, uh, and I was able to learn a lot from them, particularly accounting, And there's two, because there's really two things going on at the same time. There is the way companies use words to mislead their shareholders and the public and then the way that companies use numbers to mislead shareholders and the public and those two things intertwine. So once you start to understand the slights of hand involved in the accounting, that, that just makes the whole dance so much richer. Mm. Uh, and look, I must ask you about um, just the way you revealed yourself personally. As Sean Aylmer said yesterday in this Mumbrella, you were also vulnerable. You chronicled your fight with addiction. Now you're a teetotaler and you had to relearn the art of small, small talk when sober. Um, I wonder what that was like. I mean, you made a big decision to reveal that. Yeah. Look, and again, in retrospect, would I have done that? Was I doing it for the right reasons? Look, I'm not sure. It's a it's not something I'm embarrassed about being an alcoholic, to be honest. Uh, it just is who I am. And dealing with it was the best thing I ever did in my entire life. And the last four and a half years uh, where I've been able to have a greater cognitive bandwidth, relearn how to do things properly, have a clearer head, you know, face up to life, take my responsibilities more seriously, that's just, the, that's just been so rewarding. So that's really changed the last, it's changed the trajectory of the column as well. I've just been able to do the reading, do the work, mine the source material, think more deeply and clearly. So in a professional sense, that's been really important. Well, Joe Aston, a lot of us will miss you. Some of us won't. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Geraldine. Joe Aston, whom we'll hear more of. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.